Well, I want to say good morning to all of you who are here. I've got a lot of groceries up here on my platform somebody put, and I've got to move all of that so I can talk to you. And for future reference, don't put anything on the pulpit except my Bible and my iPad. Okay, great. Well, good morning. You know, I woke up and I saw this beautiful weather, and I said, all right, one of two things is true. It's not Sunday or we have relocated to Florida. I didn't know which one was true, but I don't know about you. I'm really glad to have a great Sunday. Would you just give the Lord a hand for a great Sunday? I'm so tired of that hard, hard winter weather. Well, one of the best and most interesting questions you can ever ask is the what if question. You ever thought about that? What if you married someone else? Or what if you took the other job? Or what if you did make that move to another state? Or what if you did go to the other school? Or what if you did major in that other subject? How different would your life be? Now, those are all hypothetical. We never know. But I'm going to ask you to ask a what-if question today, and I can tell you what the answer is. And here's the question. What if everyone who is a believer in Jesus decided to reach just one unbeliever? What if everyone who was a, a believer in Jesus decided not to reach 10 or 20 or 30, just to reach one unbeliever? Can, can you imagine how that would change so much? As a matter of fact, I know what would happen. Two lives would change. The, the, the one who finds one and reaches one would never be the same because I've experienced that in my own life. And the one who is found and reached would never be the same. We're in a series that we're calling The X Factor because the secret of the explosive growth of the early church was they were not just asking, they were really answering this question. The question they were asking is, who's your one? Who's your one? From the time they met Jesus, they began to ask, okay, who's your one? Because the X factor in the early church and the reason why the early church went from 11 disciples to 120 disciples to over 3,000 disciples in one day was because of this X factor where everyone in the early church, once they found Jesus, decided they wanted to find someone else so they could share the greatest news the world's ever heard, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They figured out early on, I've got in my hand and I've got in my heart the unbelievable power to change a life forever. It's the message that, 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 that can change a world. And they knew they could not treat it like a secret. I read one of the most fascinating books I have read in years. Just finished it a few weeks ago. And it was one of those, it was riveting. One of those books, I literally couldn't put the book down. And it was about how uh, America uh, ended World War II and conquered Japan. That was what the book was about. And as you well know, what brought the war to an abrupt end was when America dropped the atomic bomb and the story of how that bomb was developed was just fascinating to me. And I, I want to recount it for you. Many of you may remember they called it the Manhattan Project. That was the name of the, of, the, of the project that developed the bomb. And from the outset, in developing the most powerful weapon the world has ever seen, 
The government decided we have to accomplish two goals if this bomb's ever gonna be built and it's ever gonna do what it needs to do. There are two goals we've got to accomplish. One is security and the other is secrecy. That that was our number one goal in developing this bomb because it took years to develop the first bomb. And they said, we've got to have security. We've got to have secrecy. So they did their homework and they decided that they would do their main research uh, out in a place called Los Los Alamos, New Mexico. And the reason they chose it was because of its geographic location. It didn't have a big city around it. It didn't have malls. It was out in the desert. There weren't any athletic teams around. It was all by itself. And it became the most secure site in the world. It had multiple security checkpoints. They were manned 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You could not get in, you could not get out without being discovered, without being found. They had this tall barbed wire fencing that surrounded the, the, the site's perimeter. Snoopers could not sneak in. Employees could not get out unless you were searched, unless you were vetted and you were approved. So you had to be searched and vetted and approved before you got in, and you had to be searched and approved and vetted before you got out. Every employee had a security badge. It displayed their picture, their job description, their level of of clearance, their mail, mail going in and mail coming out, all mail was meticulously censored. If they found any information in your mail, even if you did it intentionally or unintentionally, it didn't matter. If they found any information in your mail that gave away your site's location, your work activity, or any technical details that was taken out of the mail. Every employee and every scientist that went in and went to work on the Manhattan Project had to sign, they all had to sign this security form uh, saying that they would absolutely keep this a secret. They would never discuss it with anybody. So your, your wife or your husband didn't know what you did. They didn't know where you'd go. You might, you might find them a, a place to live outside of the site, but they didn't know what you were doing. They didn't know what you were working on. So they wanted to make sure it was secure, but then there was this matter of secrecy. So at every site, now this is amazing to me, at every site, at every laboratory, at every building, on every piece of correspondence, official correspondence that went out or, or, or came in, they wrote these words, or they had these words plastered on walls and signs. What you see here, what you do here, what you hear here, when you leave here, let it stay here. That was on walls, it was on correspondence, it was on every site, it was in every workplace, it was in every laboratory. What you see here, do here, hear here, leave, when you leave here, you let it Stay here. When I read all of that, I thought to myself, and I'm just being honest, that's the way I think a lot of churches treat the gospel. And that's the way I'm afraid a lot of of believers treat the gospel. we, We almost treat the gospel as if it's some kind of a Manhattan project. And our goal is we gotta keep it secure, we've gotta keep it secret. Even though we've got in our hands, even though we have in our hearts the greatest power in the world to transform a life, to change a heart, to bring a person without God into a relationship with God, we act too much as if the two most important things we're trying to do here in our church is to be secure with the message and keep the message a secret. And I say all that for this reason. That is not the way it was in the early church. Security never entered their mind, not even their own physical security. Secrecy certainly never, ever entered their mind. It wasn't even that way with the very first people who ever met Jesus. As a matter of fact, you're gonna find today that from the very beginning, when somebody would meet Jesus, 
Their attitude was, I can't tell anybody about this. I've got to keep this a secret. It's not my place to tell anybody about Jesus. Their attitude was, okay, who's your one? Who's the one that I am going to help find Jesus? Because here's what you're going to see today. From the very moment that Jesus stepped onto the scene and people began to meet Jesus, here's what you find. People who find Jesus find people who need to find Jesus. People who find Jesus find people who need to find Jesus. Now, I want to show you a story. If you brought a copy of God's Word today and want to look on with us, we're in the Gospel of John. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is the fourth Gospel. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. We're in John chapter 1. Now, the first person who ever laid eyes on Jesus and his ministry was a man by the name of John the Baptist. And what you're going to find is John the Baptist immediately began pointing people to Jesus. Here's what's really fascinating to me, and here's what encourages me. The very first people that John pointed to Jesus, you know what they started doing? Anybody want to guess? They immediately began pointing people to Jesus. The very first people he pointed to Jesus began pointing people to Jesus. He didn't have to tell them to do it. He didn't have to teach them to do it. He didn't have to train them to do it. They just did it. They said, okay, we found Jesus. Now we want to find people who need to find Jesus. In other words, the moment they met Jesus, they started asking this question. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's the one that I'm going to find who needs to find Jesus? Now, let me just stop and say, I want you to hear this. These were ordinary people. They were not trained professionals. They, they, they were not ordained ministers. They, they were not seminary educated scholars. They were just ordinary people who went to work like you go to work, who go shop like you go shop, who cook and eat just like you cook and eat. They were ordinary people, but every day they got up, they kept asking the question, who's your one? Now, I want to show you this. It's so simple. They just simply did three simple things that all of us can do. Three simple things that all of us can do, all of us should do, and if you really know Jesus, you should want to do, okay? We're going to read this story together, and you may want to write down three simple things. Number one, I'm going to ask you to involve one. Now, before I say anything else, listen, don't go to sleep on me yet, okay? Listen, the emphasis is on one. I'm not asking for five, 10, 15, or 20. I'm asking one. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to sound like bragging, and it's not. And I really mean that it's not, okay? Number one, when I tell you this, your attitude ought to be, well, you ought to be setting the example. You're the pastor. You're exactly right. I should. Since the 1st of January, I have personally led 11 people to Jesus. Now, I'm not proud of that because that's not a whole lot. No, 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 don't, don't clap. That's not a lot. Here's my point. I'm not, I'm not asking you for 11. I'm asking you for one. And you ready for this? I'm not talking about in the next week or two weeks or three weeks. You ready for this? I'm asking you to reach one in the next year. Now, come on. You can do that. You can do that. The next year. Just one. But it all starts with involving one. So let's pick up the story and see how this works. All right, we're in verse 35. The next day, 
John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, let me tell you about John, in case you don't know who John was. John the Baptist was, we would call John the Baptist today a country preacher, kind of a backwoods preacher, okay? He was also known, he was like a prophet. And he was the divinely appointed forerunner of Jesus. His job was to prepare the way for Jesus. You might say he, he was kind of the advanced publicity agent for Jesus. So here's what's going on. He has disciples already. He's got two disciples with him and they're walking down the road one day and Jesus walks by. And all he does, he just points them to Jesus. Now watch this. He doesn't push them to Jesus. He doesn't pull them to Jesus. He just points them to Jesus. And when he does, this chain reaction starts. Okay, we're in verse 36. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, you got these two disciples and they're with John. They know John, they don't know Jesus. But they believe John when John says, hey, this is the Lamb of God. Now, they're Jewish. They understand, okay, there's something here about animal sacrifice involved because you know lambs were sacrificed for the sins of people. And now John's saying, that's not just an ordinary Joe here. This is not just a run-of-the-mill guy here. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So they say, okay, there's something different about him. Now, at this point, all they know about Jesus is what they've heard from John. That's all they know. They don't have any other information. They've never met Jesus. They don't know Jesus personally. They've never talked to Jesus, but they've heard enough to know, okay, I want to know more about them. So they begin to follow Jesus. Now, what's interesting is what Jesus does. Jesus, as they, as they start following him, he, he begins the conversation. And so he begins by asking a question. He says, okay, what do you want? Simple question, you know, what do you want? Literally, the question is, literally it says, what are you seeking? So in other words, what Jesus said, okay, guys, what, what are you looking for? What, what are you after? What, what, you know, what, what's your angle here? What, what, what's up with you? Now, let me just stop right here, okay? I'm gonna help you right here with something. Because what Jesus is teaching us is one of the easiest ways to get into a spiritual conversation with people is just to ask people what I call permission questions. I'm going to help you with something right now. See, one of the reasons why, and probably maybe the number one pre reason that people give, maybe, well, I'll tell you the top two reasons people say they don't share Jesus is either they say, I don't know how, we're going to, we're going to fix that, or I'm afraid, you know, or, and it's kind of a combination of both, I don't even know how to get started, okay? I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to show you how easy this is. When you meet somebody for the very first time, in fact, let, let's just say, you know, you're walking down the street or, or maybe you're just introduced to someone at a party or whatever. There's usually a question that we all just kind of normally ask. Or if we're just, if we're just, you know, if you're walking into a building, somebody's walking out, you know, you say hello. Many times we'll ask a question, all right? You know what that question is, right? How are you doing? I guarantee you, some of, some of you said that to somebody today when you walked, you didn't know who they were. Hey, how are you? Okay, now let me ask you a question. When you say to someone, how are you? Do you get this response? It's none of your business. 
Why are you asking me such a personal question? Are you a doctor looking for a check? No. They just, I'm fine. How are you? We don't even think to ask for permission to ask a simple question because we're asking an honest question. It's kind of an informal way of letting people know you do care something about them. So you just ask, okay, how are you doing? So let me just stop. Here's my point. I've already proven to you, you can ask a stranger a question. I've already proven it because you do it every day, right? Everybody got that? Now watch this. These are, I'm gonna give you two questions that you can always ask anybody. They're permission questions and it takes you off the hook, okay? Question number one. Ready? So you're talking to someone, it may be a friend, it may be someone you know, it may be someone you don't, you're in a conversation and you're gonna be with them for a while or whatever, or it may be a neighbor you've been talking to and you've gotten to know that neighbor or whatever. And so you can ask this question. Would you mind talking about spiritual things? Would you mind talking about spiritual things? Okay. Or here's another question you can ask. May I ask you a spiritual question? Now, let me tell you how easy this is, okay? The reason I call it permission questions is this. So I'm on an airplane, all right? And I'm talking to somebody in the seat next to me and I'm trying to you know, get the conversation to a spiritual point. And so we're talking and, and rocking along. And, and so I may, I'm, they may say something that, that triggers it or I may just kind of jump in and I may say, hey, do you mind talking about spiritual things? Now, now watch, watch how easy this is. Suppose they say, and they rarely do, but sometimes they say, uh, no. that's just real personal to me, okay? Now, let me tell you what I don't do. I don't go, well, turn or burn. I don't do that. I don't say, okay, go to hell. I don't do that. I don't do that. If they say no, you know what I do? I'd stop. Because you know what they just told me? Okay, whatever the reason, God's not moving here. I don't push, I don't force, I don't coerce. I'm just asking a permission question. Hey, do do you mind if I ask you a spiritual question? Now they're going to say yes or no. Well, yeah, I'd rather you not do that. Okay, we're fine. We're good. Okay, just don't do that. So my point is this. The easy way to get into a spiritual conversation, just do what Jesus did. Ask a question. I just gave you two good ones. Hey, do you mind talking about spiritual things? No. May I ask you a spiritual question? Sure, all right. If you can ask somebody about their family or ask somebody about their health or what they do for a living or where they're from, you can ask them for permission to talk about spiritual matters. All right, everybody nod your head, okay? You can't disagree with that, okay? Now, if they open the door, you just walk through it. If they shut the door, you just leave them alone. That's okay. Now, they responded to Jesus' question with their question. He says, okay, what do you want? He goes, they go, where are you staying? Now, Jesus could have said, man, I'm having the experience of a lifetime. I'm staying at a Holiday Inn Express. He doesn't do that. They open a door. So he walks through the door. You know what he said? Come and see. You wanna know where I'm staying? He didn't give them address. He said, come and see. All right, now watch. What was Jesus doing? Here's what he was doing. He was just getting involved. That's all. He was, they opened the door. He's just getting involved. See, too many believers, can I be honest, they have the attitude of somebody who witnesses an automobile accident and they kind of walk away saying, I, I don't want to get involved, right? Jesus said, no, I mean, I, you, you open the door. I'm going to walk through this door. So if you're going to ask the question, who's your one, you have got to get involved. You cannot stand on the sidelines. You've got to get involved. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. If you really believe that people matter most to God, 
If you really believe that, and I do, I don't believe anything matters to God. As a matter of fact, not only most of God, I think it's the biggest thing that matters to God is people. And if you really believe that people matter most to God, then you want to get involved in the lives of other people so that you can help bring them to the God to whom they matter. Now, the people who will be most receptive to your witness are people that you're already involved with. Many times it will be people that God has put, in, put into your life because you're gonna see right now how this chain reaction starts. Ready? So let's go back. John says to these disciples, behold the Lamb of God. The disciples say, hey, where are you staying? Jesus says, come and see. So now they're checking them out. And now watch what happens. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. The very first person, when, when Andrew thought to himself, who's your one? It was right there in front of him, my brother. Peter needs to hear this. Peter needs to know about this. So let me just stop and ask you a question. How many of you have a relative who could be your one? A brother, a brother-in-law, a sister, a nephew, an uncle, an aunt, a cousin. How many of you have a relative you say, you know, that could be my one? Or how many close friends and neighbors have you lived to next door to for years? Or maybe people you've worked beside for 15 years at your job. Maybe they could be your one. Now, here's the point, and this is where I just got to really make you a little bit uncomfortable because you know what I'm about to say, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. God wants us, all of us, to get out of our Christian cocoons and our Christian clubs and our Christian comfort zones. God wants us to get out of this little Christian box that we have built. And God wants us to walk across the room, walk across the street, walk across the office hallway and start getting involved in the lives of other people. Those of us, who do believe in Jesus need, need to get involved in the lives of people who don't believe in Jesus. Those of us who do follow Jesus need to get involved in the lives of people who don't follow Jesus. So step one, all I'm asking you to do is take one person and say, okay, how can I get involved in this, person life, this person's life? Who's your one involve one? Now, once you get involved, you go to step two. Once you involve one, then you want to influence one. Once you involve one, then you want to influence one, all right? We're in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. So Philip begins to follow Jesus, but look at what happens next. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now look, watch how this is working. Andrew asked the question, who's your one? Andrew said, I'm going to my family. When Philip found Jesus, he said, okay, who's your one? He said, oh, I know, I've got a friend. Andrew went to Peter. Philip went 
to Nathaniel. One started at home, one started with his next door neighbor, but here's the point. They both started with people that they knew. They both started with people they were involved with because there is a benefit to involvement. Involvement always brings influence. Involvement always brings influence. If you're involved in anyone's life, you've got influence with that person. Now, I'm gonna let you in a little secret. The people that you will have the most success with the people you'll have the most success with in pointing people to Jesus are people that you already know, people that you already have influence with. Because what works over time is what you do every day. You're developing relationships. You're building friendships with people who just naturally fall into your circle of influence. Your neighbors, they're in your circle of influence. That's why you live next door to them. Your coworkers, they're in your circle of influence. That's why you work, uh, you know, work next to them. The people you work out with at the gym, the people that you play tennis with, or you play golf with, or you hunt with, or you fish with, or the people you coach sports with, or the people you just hang out with, all of those people are in your circle of influence. And all I'm asking you to do is that once you find out, you know what, I've already got a lot of people, Pastor, I'm already involved in their life. I'm asking you just to take one, not two, not three, not five, just one, and say, okay, now I want to leverage my involvement with them, and I want to start influencing them. And here's why this is so very, very important. Research indicates that the most effective efforts to point people to Jesus are those that are personal and based on a prior relationship. Now, this, this kind of got my attention. When you talk to someone and they claim a salvation experience, that is, they claim they have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. They claim that, that like that beautiful young girl gave her testimony a moment ago, they claim that they've had this real relationship and this experience of trusting Christ. When people claim that, they identify, when you say, okay, what was the activity or what was the ministry event or what was the person that was most directly responsible for you, your decision to trust Christ? 71%, seven out of 10 people who said that they prayed to receive Christ, seven out of 10 people who said, yes, I decided to become a follower of Jesus, 71% listed an individual. It was either a parent, it was a friend, it was another relative, or it was a teacher. And the vast majority of those decisions, they said, occurred as people had conversations with them over a period of time about spiritual things. So what I'm saying is, we've got to deliberately leverage the influence we have with other people, and we've got to go look for people that we have influence with. Because in this story, if you go back and read this whole story, in this story, you'll find the word find five times. You'll find it five times. Times because you always find what? What you're looking for. You don't look for it, you're not gonna find it. You always find what you're looking for and generally when you're looking for something and you're trying to find it, you know what you wanna do with it once you have found it and that is the key. That's what influence is all about. Now, let me go back again to Philip and Nathaniel. Keep in mind, Andrew and Peter, they're just fishermen. Philip and Nathaniel, they're just workmen. I mean, we're talking about minimum wage guys. We're not talking about PhDs. We're not talking about people who've been religiously trained. They're just ordinary people. And Philip and Nathaniel had one thing in common. You ready for this? This is amazing. One day earlier, neither of them knew Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, one day earlier, neither one of them had even heard about Jesus. They didn't even know who Jesus was just one day earlier. Now, one did and the other didn't. And the man who has found Jesus just simply said, you know what? Who's my one? Nathaniel, you're my one. And he made a conscious, intentional decision to influence a friend he was involved with to also meet Jesus. Now, by the way, when you read the story of Jesus, you'll find this is what he spent the vast majority of his time in three years doing every single day. Because Jesus didn't just hang out with unbelievers every now and then or occasionally. He hung out with them intentionally. He initiated contact with them. He went to their homes. He went to their parties. He spent time with them. He wanted to leverage his influence with them in a spiritual way. And let's just, let's just all be honest. I, I can be as guilty of what I'm about to tell you as we are, okay? So I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to us. The cold, hard truth is this. We have worked so hard to kind of remove ourselves from the influence of the world. We've gotten so far away from the influence of the world that we've also made the world safe from any influence we can have on them. And that's why I want to say again, you got to get out of that Christian cocoon and that Christian club. You've got to get out of this mindset of, okay, if I just come here, I've kind of done my job. No, you haven't even started to do your job. Coming here is to equip you to go out there and do your job. Because let me tell you this, the work, the primary work of the church, listen to me, the primary work of the church is not in the church, it's outside the church. So don't, let's get out of this attitude. If I just show up on Sunday, God owes me a standing ovation. He owes you nothing. Your job is not primarily to come here. Your job is primarily to leave here and find those who do not come here. The question is, since we all have influence with somebody, let me just stop just, and just repeat that. Everybody in this room's got influence with somebody. Everybody's got influence with somebody. It's a relative, a friend, a coworker, somebody you do business with, somebody you shop with. I don't care who it is. Everybody's got influence with somebody. The question is, since we've all got influence with somebody, are we willing to leverage that influence in the lives of others in a spiritual way so that we can point them to Jesus? Because I remind you, go all the way back. What started all of this to begin with? It all started when a guy named John just pointed somebody to Jesus. He just said, look, there is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so here's all I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to follow the example that was set in this story, okay? I am not asking you to influence 10 or 15 or 20. In fact, I'll give you a countdown. I'm not asking you to influence five, four, three, or two. I'm just asking you over the next 365 days, will you just influence one? Will you just get involved with the life of one? Will you just influence one? All right, now watch. Once you involve one, and once you begin to influence one, then you invite one. Then you invite one, all right? See, this is how this worked, okay? Jesus invited Andrew. Andrew invited Peter. 
He then invites Philip. Philip invites Nathaniel. You got it? That's simple. John points people to Jesus. Andrew begins to follow Jesus. He says, okay, my one is Peter. Peter, I want you to follow Jesus. Jesus then says, okay, watch this. I'm gonna do it one more time. He invites Philip. Philip says, okay, who's my one? I know my buddy Nathaniel, and he invites Nathaniel. Now, I want you to notice how Philip does this. This is kind of cool. I want you to notice how Philip invites Nathaniel. He says, Nazareth, he's talking about Jesus came from Nazareth. That's what Nathaniel's saying. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked, come and see, said Philip. Now, look what Philip said. Come and see. See, now notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't debate him. He doesn't get into this, you know, this big argument with, well, of course something good can be. He doesn't even, doesn't even listen, he's not, I'm not gonna get into that. I'm not gonna get sidetracked. Come and see. Now, does that ring a bell? Who said that earlier in the story? Yeah, Jesus. Where did he get that question from? He's heard Jesus use it. He said, hey, it worked for him, it worked for me. So he said, look, come and see. They both just said that. In other words, look at what Jesus did. When Jesus, when when these guys started to follow him, they said, okay, Jesus said to them, what do you want, right? And, 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 you know, and and, and so we want to know all about you. Jesus said, okay, come and see. In other words, they just extended an invitation. So let me just kind of take a lot of pressure off everybody here. Ready? I'm not asking anybody here or anybody listening to me right now. I'm not asking you to become a prosecuting attorney. I'm not asking you to be a high-pressure salesman. I'm not asking you to put a full court press on anybody. I'm not asking you to push anybody. I'm not asking you to pull anybody. I'm just asking you to just extend invitations. You say, well, you think that'll work? Well, unchurched people by and large will visit a church or start coming to church simply because of an invitation they get from someone who is involved in their life and influencing their life. Now, I don't want to bore you with a lot of stats, but I want to kind of break this down for you. Ready? I'm going to show you how it works and why it's not working. How it works, but why it's not working. You ready? There are 160 million Americans who are far from God. That means they don't know God. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't have a relationship with the church. They don't read a Bible. They have no spiritual life to speak of at all. 160 million. If invited to attend church, one out of three, 31% say they would be very likely to come. If they were invited, they'd be likely to come. 51% say they would be somewhat likely to come. Now, that means that 82% of the people who do not go to church in America are somewhat, if not very likely, to attend if they're invited. Let me just just let that soak in, okay? That means 8 out of 10 people who are not in these seats right now, 8 out of 10 people who have left a seat empty have said, if I was just invited, there's a good chance, if not a great chance, I just might come. Only 21% of active churchgoers ever invite anyone to church. So let me just stop. Eight out of 10 people who are not here right now said, if you'd invite me, 
there's a good to a great chance I just might come, but only one out of five of us ever invite anybody. Ready? Only 2% of active churchgoers ever invite those who are unchurched. In other words, of the 21% of people who invite people to come to church with them, 98% of them are inviting, you know, you've heard my terms, right? Billy who? Billy Baptist, Mickey who? Mickey Methodist, right? Ernie who? Ernie Episcopalian, right? Larry who? Larry Lutheran, you get the point, right? They're just kind of trying to steal everybody else's sheep. But we're not inviting people, the 160 million, who are far from God, and yet we're sitting here knowing that eight out of 10 of them have said, if you would just invite me, I'm either likely or very likely to indeed intend your church. And here's my point. It's not enough just to involve one. It's not enough just to influence one. We've got to get to a point where we invite one. And not just a church, but to a relationship with Christ. And again, you go read the book of Acts, read it for yourself. This was the X factor in the early church. I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest, so it, it may be the greatest success story in the history of this world. 11 disciples with no money, no influence, no political power, no military might, had nothing going for them whatsoever except a belief in the resurrection and a message called the gospel went from 11 to 3,000 in one day. And all they did was involve, influence, and invite. That's what it was. Ordinary people, run-of-the-mill people, farmers, fishermen, just involving themselves, influencing them, others, and inviting others. Now, here's the bottom line, okay? Look at the seat. If you're sitting next to or behind or in front of a seat that is empty, I want you to listen to this. God wants those of us who are in a seat to be concerned about those who are not. Now, I hope this comes across the right way because I mean it the right way. I'm glad you're here. I, I really am. I'm glad you're here. But I get so burdened about empty seats because our problem is not we don't have people. We got tons of people. And our problem is not that we don't have the manpower. We got manpower. Our problem is not we don't have the power. If, we're, if, we're, if we know Jesus, we've, we're, we've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Our problem is very simple, and we all know it. It's just so let's just get it out there. We're not involving ourselves. We're not investing ourselves and, and, and influencing, and we're not inviting others. And so when we involve ourselves in the lives of others and we begin to leverage our influence in the lives of others, we need to be constantly looking for ways that we can invite them to a worship service, to a small group, to an off-campus Bible study, to your house for a meal, or to a gospel conversation. Now listen, different people come to Jesus in different ways. I get that. I know that. I've seen it in my own ministry, okay? And our job is just stay involved, use our influence, keep inviting, and always keep that one question in our mind, who's your one, all right? So here's what I'm going to ask our entire church family to do. Everybody should have a worship guide. I want you to look inside your worship guide and I want you to pull out this green card. Everybody got this green card right here, okay? It's a little green card that says, who's your one? Who's your one? And on the back it says, I am praying for the salvation of blank. I'm asking God to give me the opportunity to share my faith in Jesus with them by March. Somebody tell me, what's that year? 
2019, 365 days, 52 weeks. One, not 11, not 21, not 31, not even two, just one. I'm gonna share with them by March 2019. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother. We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Before you leave this service today, you might wanna do it right now. I'm gonna ask you to write down the name of one person who you know is not a Christ follower. Again, you got all, you can choose. Look, you got a whole ocean of people to choose from. How about a relative? How about a, how about a high school buddy? How about the person that works in the cubicle next to you? How about the person you play golf or you hunt with or you go fish with or, you, or, you, or the lady that you shop with or, or, or someone else, a friend, a best buddy or whatever? Somebody, they're unchurched, they're far from God. As far as you know, if they were to die, they'd die without a relationship with God. Who is that one person? All right, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. You ready? Make this easy. It says, I am praying for. That's the first thing I want you to do. Would you just pray for them? Would you just start? Anybody can do that, right? You can be the most shy person in the world. You can pray for somebody. All right, I want you to pray for them every day. And then over the next year, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be asking, you know, think about, pray about, and really strategize. Okay, how can I involve myself? For a lot of them, you're already involved. How can I involve myself? Okay, how can I leverage my involvement to, and, 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 and use my influence to move them down the track, to move the ball down the field? And how can I get to the point where I finally invite them? So in other words, this is the one, here's what you're praying for. Okay, I'm gonna tell you exactly what I want you to pray. I don't want you just to pray for that person you're trying to reach. I want you to pray for you. And when you read that name, I want you to understand this is the one, this is the one that you're going to ask God to use you to reach for Jesus. This is the one that you're going to ask God to use you to reach for Jesus. Now, you've got a perfect opportunity today to get started by asking this person to join you for our Easter service in two weeks, okay? So you can already just, you don't have to worry, I'm not even worried about you presenting the gospel right now unless God lays that on your heart and God opens the door. But you can at least take this one card right here, take that one person, say, you know what I can do? I can at least invite them to Easter. Now to make this easy, in the lobby as you leave, doesn't matter which door you go out of, in the lobby as you leave, we've got on Easter display, a variety of tools you can use to invite that one person to Easter. You can give them an invite card. You can send them a postcard. Doesn't matter. Our next gen ministry's got a fun way to invite families called Egg Your Neighbor. And you can pick up, not really, and you can pick up a packet about that in the lot. I know some of you are saying, but I've got a labor. I've been wanting to egg for a long time. No, 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 I'm not talking about that, okay? This is a spiritual deal, all right? And if you're so serious about reaching this person for God, there's not an easier way to begin than to invite them to Easter. Now, I'm going to close with this little thought because I realize there's some of you here, and I, I, I mean, again, I get it. This is one of the hardest messages to preach. The two hardest things for me to get people to do, you know what it is? Guess what the first one is? Give, okay? That's hard. Second one, share Jesus. Two hardest things, okay? So I want to leave you with this. Dawson Trotman, great man of God, great man who reached a lot of people for Christ, founded an organization called The Navigators. Some of you are familiar with The Navigators. Dawson Trotman said something. When I read this statement, I said, that's what I want our people to hear this last thing because this is what it all boils down to. You ready? Here's what he said. He said, people who point to people to Jesus 
do so. Not because of what they know, but who they know and how much they want others to know him. People who point people to Jesus do so, not because of what they know, but who they know and how much they want others to know him. I don't know about the Jesus that you know. I want to tell you about the Jesus that I know. The Jesus that I know and the Jesus I fell in love with as a nine-year-old boy is so worth knowing and so worth loving and so worth serving, and so worth worshiping, and so worth obeying. I want other people to know him too. Let's pray together.